There's a code of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on.
the major media were talking about information wars and how that had already been geared up for before the public were given access to the Internet. So uh, those who already controlled the power structures made sure they were going to be in charge of this system as well. And they had trained staff, trained staff to either start up the chat rooms or to how to infiltrate chat rooms and get everyone else to do your dirty work for you when you'd finger somebody for attack. And lots of them who go into chat rooms get used for that very purpose. They don't know they're being used, generally by a very powerful figure that they initially admire that have been set up to take the fall if things come back on them, legally or otherwise. Back with more after this break. And when they cut me back the last time, 
the speed for uploads, they they actually said, oh, it's probably your satellite dish. So, so hundreds of bucks later, after you've, you've got the guy in, knew this, knew that, and all the rest of it, you find out you're on a lock, they call it. And then eventually got a woman to say, oh, said, they said, and it gets slipped out of her. They're not supposed to tell you, the customer, this, but you've been put on a lock, which means uh, they put you on the unfair usage policy. Now, if you try to find out how much bandwidth you can use in a month, well, that's a big mystery. No one had explored that. You knows. No one, absolutely no one knows how much it is. And I'm on the middle price. And yet they've just told me that now I'm, I'm only really authorized to get email. So it's about 100 bucks a month for email, folks. This is the BS. The BS. They feed you. And until ExploreNet takes this lock off and puts it back to what it was, poor though it was, it's better than now, I'll keep bitching every night about them and put the customers off. It's, it's good that the customers should know what they're getting into before they get into it. This is how you get treated. Now, it's a war, as I say, it's ongoing. Ongoing from many different directions. And you wouldn't be, believe the hassles I have just getting through every darn day here. A lot of hassles. But that's the, the war, as I say. It's a war on everybody, but mainly on those who know, who know, who are awake and understand, and who can communicate to other people. And speech, even free speech, is something everyone takes for granted until you lose it. And when you've, when you've lost it, that's it. That's, it's, all you are then is some guy in a dungeon uh, squeaking off at the top of his voice with no one to hear them because we're going into utter, complete tyranny. You see, the farce of the Cold War also had to be played out by giving people in the Western world what they thought was a measure of freedom for the first time. Really, really too, it was for the first time. And at that time, too, as you're being free and so-called democratic and, uh, and thinking it was going to go on forever, the big boys had just already decided that once, once Sovietization was dead, that part of the big plan was dead, and they were amalgamating with the West, which is exactly what's happening now. They'd take away all those little benefits that you had. They'd pull in all those credit cards they would throw at you before in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And then they start jacking up all the prices and putting you back into the peasant mode. That's what's happening today. You see, in the 1800s and into the early 1900s, right up into and beyond World War I, the societies in every country had really, really the societies that came out of the feudal system. And people technically, whether they were called serfs or not, behaved just like serfs. If they got any education at all, it was of the lowest quality to make sure they could just read and write and uh, sign guilty on the Queen's uh, uh, warrants or whatever. And, um, and that was about it. But to convince the world that this Western society, this democracy was the way to go, they had to show to the world the pretense of freedom. And they gave one generation, one generation, the appearance that they were actually free and could go wherever they wanted to go, could mouth off when they wanted to mouth off about certain things. And now that's all been taken back because, you see, the Norman Dodd and the Rees Commission 
they had back in the 1950s when it talked to the big tax-exempt foundations that were funding all the supposed left-wingers and communist societies, admitted to Senator Dodd that their job was to change the culture so much in the West that eventually they'd merge it seamlessly with the Soviet Union, a Soviet-type system. You team that up with the Club of Rome, the premier think tank as it boasts to the world for the United Nations, and they said that of all the systems they, they viewed and studied collectivism or the collectivization of the systems were, were the ones that were most promising, meaning a form of communism. It's now called governance, where you simply obey when the guy in the uniform uh, tells you to obey, or else. And they mean, or, or else. They aren't pussy putting around with you anymore. That's why police across Western Hemisphere are allowed to just taser people uh, that at one time would have simply been grabbed by some big, tough cop. Now they just taser you because they like a bit of torture, and they like to watch you squirm, urinate and defecate in front of them, and maybe even die and turn blue. It's all very colorful for them as they kill you. We're in a different time now, completely different time, and these boys all know they'll be given authority from the top to do exactly what they're doing. They've also bred a generation on video games, and the only object of the game is to come through after killing as many as possible, so they either go into the military or the police. And they've given that, cult, that particular generation the most debased, completely debased culture of any generation to date. It reminds me of when of, of Julian Huxley and Lord Bertrand Russell, who are big players in the planning of this particular phase we're going through now, and the kind of society that they said they'd bring in, they have done it. They've been very successful. They said that um, the public basically would be degenerate, egocentric, egocentric. Each person would be split from everyone else, separate from everyone else, egocentric in their behavior. In other words, not caring. And the state would give them their morals. That's happened. That's happened. And parents have accepted it too. They've accepted the fact and have left it to the schools to give the new morals to their, to their children. The state's morals, the one that suits the power elite for the society that they've designed. So for all those who think we're simply evolving by ourselves in some happenstance direction, there's nothing more silly than that because where everything that happens in society is planned, just like from 2001 onwards, everything that happened, everything that happened across the world was planned and coordinated and came out at the same time. All the rules, regulations, and so on. And the dream of Karl Marx of United Europe has already taken place. The unification of the Americas is completed next year. They signed a treaty every year since 2005. And they're doing the same thing with the Far Eastern Bloc as well. Exactly as uh, we find that uh, Karl Marx said would happen. That's no coincidence. Someone who lived in the 1800s could say what was going to happen. That was a mandate. And now, again, we're back with Britain, for instance, this home of democracy, the strangest democracy on the planet, because... Everybody in the planet, uh, in the country, has to go to the Queen 
and get her to sign any law that's passed. And she can also sign uh, the sort of orders in council that they have, something that doesn't even go through Parliament. She signs it, and it's become law. Here's an article, as an example from the Times Online, November the 18th, 2009. The Queen's speech, ban on mobile phones in jail. This is before she's given this speech, as far as I know. Britain's Queen Elizabeth II prepares to make the Queen's speech at the House of Lords in London during the state opening of Parliament. So they give you a preview of what's to be said. <clears throat> and it starts with prisoners. Prisoners who are found with mobile phones while inside jails are to face prosecutions under plans outlined in the Queen's speech today. And it goes on and on about that. But then it goes into the other changes that she's just put, she's putting through. Who elected the Queen to any position? No one I know. Do you? Back with more after this break. I am Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Talking about uh, the Queen's speech and how here's a Queen who isn't elected by anybody um, going to open up the, the Parliament again, but she's got all this stuff to read off. This is like this was like the Middle Ages, the strange democracy that Britain's always had, where every government employee swears allegiance to the Queen and not to the people. Uh, that's not democracy, as far as I know. But anyway, she's on about the prisoners and so on. They can have no cell phones. But then here's stuff coming down near the bottom. It says, uh, it says the new measures to be included in the Crime and Security Bill, which will also introduce a new legal requirement on people to ensure air guns, that's all they have in Britain, or catapults, you see, slingshots and air guns, are stored out of the reach of children. Then other measures in the bill will introduce a mandatory assessment of a child's parenting needs. Whenever an antisocial behavior order is being considered for a 10 to a 15-year-old. And it says parenting orders will also be imposed on mothers and fathers whenever a youngster breaks. Now they're calling it an ASBO, antisocial behavior order. Powers to exclude violent men from the family home for 14 days, so-called go orders are also in the bill. Will also include the controversial plans to retain to retain the DNA samples of innocent people on the national database for six years. At present, people who are arrested but subsequently not charged or cleared at court remain on the DNA database forever. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the, a light and a shining shining light to the world, eh? Britain. Police are also to be given the power to take DNA samples and fingerprints from prisoners currently serving sentences for serious crime. They're also to have the power to take samples from serious violent and sexual offenders returning to the UK after being convicted of offences overseas. A compulsory licensing system for wheel clamping businesses. This is where they the clamp your, your, your wheels in your car if, if you're parked in the wrong place or the meter runs out. It's to be introduced to tackle rogue firms who impose excessive penalties for releasing clamped cars or tow cars unreasonably quickly after being clamped. I want to show change the fact that cops can pull in the crusher and the roads and they just crush your car when your insurance has run out. I somehow doubt that. Uh, and then we have this one here too. Uh, this is from the Sunday Times, November 15th. Health and safety snoops spies to enter the family home. 
Health and safety inspectors are to be given unprecedented access to family homes to ensure that parents are protecting their children from household accidents. Now, they've already going in, they're already going to your homes to check your fridge and what you're eating. Can you believe this is actually happening? This is beyond the old sci-fi movies of the future. We're living through uh, advanced or sci-fi on our role, basically. New guidance drawn up by the request of the Department of Health. Now, I told you all these services, it's because the the health service, now it's called Department of Health, and and it's an authority, right? Exactly as Lenin said it would be. Urges councils and other public sector bodies to collect data on properties where children are thought to be at greatest risk of unintentional injury. Council staff will then be tasked with overseeing the installation of safety devices in the homes, this is cameras and everything, including smoke alarms, stair gates, hot water temperature restrictors, oven guards, and window and door locks. The draft guidance by Committee of the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence uh, they call this uh, NICE, N-I-C-E-A, oh my God, uh, psycholinguistics, has been criticized as intrusive and further evidence of the creeping nanny state. Wait, what do you mean creeping nanny state? Creeping. It's on a roll here. It's, uh, it's running all over the people. Until now, councils have only made a limited number of home inspections to check on building work in extreme cases where the state of a house is thought to pose a serious risk to public health. This NICE also recommends the, uh, recommends the creation of a new government database, here we go again, to allow general practitioners, midwives, and other officials who visit homes to log health and safety concerns they spot. In other words, spy and snoop for the government. This is uh, incredible. But not really. It's what I expected all along. Because I always saw what these organizations were set up to be in the first place. And I, I knew, too, by reading all the stuff on the Cold War, that uh, in would come Big Brother in a big, hard way when there was no more opposition. So there were bad guys across the sea, you see. Then if they pretend they were democratic anymore, in other words, that was the whole key to it. And then you find uh, this PR piece, and it's definitely a PR piece by the Times Online on the actor uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and it says here November 16th Arnold Schwarzenegger visits Iraq and aims to transfer transfer the military tactics to California that they use on the people in in Iraq you know where they go out there and just round a bunch of folk up bring them in and torture them whether they know anything or not that's literally what they were doing and and then they give you this PR piece like it's a big the big near TV character, not a not real person. The governor of California trots out his most famous one-liner wherever he goes, but the Victory military base in Baghdad today, he apparently meant it. He says, I'll be back. I'm surprised he managed to say that. Uh, it says, after working out with a group of American soldiers on active duty in Iraq, all with necks and trunks as thick as his, I doubt it because he was on masses of steroids. Yeah, that's why he's brain is so small. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
Alan Watt for cutting through the Matrix. I just let that guitar riff go on and howl a bit there because I feel like howling tonight when you read this kind of stuff that's put brazenly in the media. But uh, I'm reading an article here about Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a public relations thing, of course. And it says here that um, uh, the muscle man who rose to Hollywood fame as a Terminator came to the site of America's bloodiest war in a generation to cheer up the troops, but also because there are important lessons to be learned here. Mr. Schwarzenegger said he wants to study counterinsurgency strategies developed by the U.S. military when Iraq was on the brink of civil war and bring them back to the mean streets of California, where criminal gangs rule entire neighborhoods, especially in large cities. Already police officers in some parts of the state are attempting to copy the hard-won lessons that helped to calm down the western Iraq city of Fallujah. That's when they, you know, they bombed it and strafed it from the air to pieces. And the Triangle of Death sound the south of Baghdad, where insurgents once reigned openly. It's amazing, again, how again, people don't really perceive things uh, as things really are. Anyone who is standing up for their country is called an insurgent. It doesn't sound like a patriot, you see. And it all depends on how it's given to the public. And they always respond in the usual way, thinking, well, I guess that's like a foreigner or something an insurgent well even the Vietnamese were called insurgents in Vietnam and in World War II they actually set up teams to keep uh, sort of uh, terrorist attacks going against the Germans if the Germans actually invaded Britain successfully what would they call them? British insurgents? I mean it's, it's all nonsense people who are defending their country are generally called patriots I mean that's the fact Anyway, it says, instead he heard about their work on the safe environs of one of the largest U.S. bases in Iraq and shook hands with them afterwards, he also held meetings with the senior commanders. The transfer of counterinsurgency tactics from the military to the police is being pioneered in the central Californian town of Salinas. Combat veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan are already advising the local authorities on how to conduct their own surge as the U.S. counterinsurgency campaign of President Bush is known. Now, I've, I've always said, the big eating machine that's over there, and you just chomp away at your french fries or your chips or whatever you chew on, and we'll come back home, and that's exactly what's happening here. They always call them, when they're abroad, advisors, these guys that train and, and uh, these teams of hitmen abroad. But now, here you have them back home again, advising Governors, state governors, on how to conduct their business at the ground level in their own countries. It says rather than hunting down gang leaders and arresting them, the police are told to build trust in the community that supports the gangs. Only by patiently draining the swamp can the leaders be eliminated. I like their terminology, eh? It's right from the movies. Draining the swamp, eliminated, blah, blah. There are apparently striking similarities between Iraq and California. Many gang members and supporters see police officers as an occupying force, similar to a foreign military presence. Like in Baghdad, there are also language problems, plus your forced multiculturalism. Officers speak English and locals often Spanish, making cooperation in criminal investigations difficult, even when citizens are willing. Then it goes on and on about uh, the problems in California. So here they are bringing in uh, military advisors, uh, you can understand what the military is. The military is there to kill people. That's what military are all about, not to police anybody. Not to police them. Here's an article here that's right along with what I'm saying. 
and it's from CNN.com. It says, uh, it says, Army tapes reveal motive in Iraq prisoner killings. CNN, CNN investigation reveals why the Army's rules for holding detainees may have led to the murders of four Iraqis by three decorated Army sergeants. Then that must have been aired on Tuesday through Friday on AC 360 at 10 p.m. ET, Eastern Time. It says here, U.S. soldiers interrogated by the army in the 2007 murders of four Iraqi detainees blamed the military uh, policy they said made it too hard to detain suspected insurgents. The soldiers questioned the killing said the sergeant in command of the detachment ordered the suspected insurgents killed because army rules made it too difficult to hold them. Well, you see, this happens whenever you send the military out. This is happening on more levels than just that or in this particular instance. That's what war is all about. Killing folk. And the soldiers only trained in killing people. They're not policemen. CNN obtained an extraordinary 23 and a half hours of army interrogation videotapes to, de to detail the March 2007 executions of the prisoners by three sergeants who were attached to Alpha Company 1st Battalion 18th Infantry Regiment. The tapes to be shown on CNN's AC360 show one of the sergeants confessing to the crime, as well as agents from the Army's Criminal Investigation Division telling soldiers involved in the crime that the military's reputation was at stake. <laughs> one tape an Army interrogator compares the potential fallout from the slayings to the scandal over the treatment of inmates at Iraq's Abu Ghraib prison, telling a soldier this is going to be ugly because it is. It says, just like them knuckleheads who were uh, stacking naked prisoners in the pyramids at Abu Ghraib, the interrogator says, we walked down the streets and that's a shame we all carry, and I had nothing to do with it. Then it talks, because about some of the people who actually did the killings, and they shot these guys in the head so that they, they wouldn't be on the streets shooting back at them again. That's the excuse that they give. That's what army soldiers are about. All you people who have swallowed this, this nonsense about police, uh, it's, it's a policing duty. That's what they're, they're peacekeepers now. No, they're soldiers. Soldiers have uh, rifles and automatic weapons and grenades and all kinds of uh, amazing stuff to kill people, and that's what they're trained to do. They kill people. And believe you me, the systems that we're seeing employed abroad are all coming back to be used at home. I've already read the... 90-page document from the top think tank for the British and NATO military and they say there's going to be riots starting off around 2010 that will gradually escalate over the years uh, there'll be food riots and everything and yes they will bring on food riots because they're going to ration everybody that's already well under the, uh, the way the rationing for food because there's only five corporations taking over the, wood, the, the food supply of the whole planet and really the top with the same shareholders they're all, they're all really one company that's part of a plan a warfare plan they always go for food and water first things you go for of the enemy if you want compliance Kissinger said it too you want to control uh, our people you control the oil if you want to control uh, the, uh, the world he says you control the food so, this is the real world now, and it's stepping up big time. And everybody who's a control freak uh, by nature is in the right position of authority, 
across the planet. They're all being put in now at the right times for what they have to do. And uh, they're just chomping at the bits to get on with it. And they're doing it. Now, this whole farce of uh, global warming is so beautiful, really, because remember the Club of Rome is the organization that, that was given the task of finding a way to unite the planet, get everybody working together along a common agenda, uh, a new uh, paradigm of belief for the age, you might say. And they said that the people only go along with something when it's a warfare scenario. You accept rationing. You accept authority from the top. You accept intrusion. You accept ration cards and ID cards and all the rest of it and travel passes, all that kind of stuff. So they said this would bring in a war-type scenario. And the war would be about the people on the... The people were the enemy, in other words, of the planet. That's what they came up with. They said the idea of global warming, famine, uh, and the like uh, would fit the bill. And that was chiseled in stone, and I don't care if you're up to your eyes in snow, they're not going to change that plan. They'll stop talking about it once they pass all the laws and so on and get what they want. They won't need it anymore. Just like the war on Iraq or 9-11 happening. That 9-11 had to happen to kick off this, this century with this big plan, the new American century. It's not going to be American at all. Because America has to get finished off financially, economically, and brought down to third world status as it, as it finishes off paying and policing the rest of the world and bringing them under the standardized global system. I've said that for years, and that's what's happening right now. You wouldn't believe the amount of bankruptcy still going on, people losing their homes every single day in the U.S. I got an article sent yesterday, and it was state by state, uh, how many homes per day uh, people are losing. And the mainstream are keeping pretty quiet upon it, about it. It's just, just incredible. Incredible. Now, you think that uh, it couldn't get any worse. And of course it's going to get worse. We have, we have carbon taxes coming. And this article here is from CNBC. It's, uh, it's from 13th of November. It says, would you like carbon insurance with that latte? You might not hear that exact question anytime soon, but don't be surprised if companies start shifting carbon risk from their balance sheets to someone else's using the time-honored marketplace tool of insurance. And when that happens, expect the price of products to reflect the new reality. China, India, and other emerging economies argue that we become prosperous using up the atmosphere and must now bear a disproportionate share of the burden to fix the problem at least in the first few years of any new global deal. This, this whole thing is just the, the collectivized communistic Soviet system, world Sovietization, a more advanced type of Sovietization. It's just a big con to get us under all of this. That's what it is. One proposal floating around before the global climate talks in Copenhagen next month is for developed countries like the U.S. and the EU to buy insurance for climate change-related impacts that are likely to occur to developing nations. Flood insurance for low-lying areas of Indonesia, for example, that may be a way, some argue, to deal with the rich-poor nation divide that threatens to undermine any new global deal. Now, the money would never get to the people. That doesn't matter. We know it's going to go in through the big bankers' slippery hands in the first place because the Rothschild, who came forward to propose all this one in the first place, he was given the job. 
uh, it just happens that all these carbon taxes will go through his particular bank in Switzerland. And uh, you know if there's billions going through there uh, by the day and by the night, that just holding that for a day or two brings you an awful lot of money back in interest. And that's how these slobs work, you see. That's how they've always worked. If you call that work, to me it's a rather easy life. But anyway, it's it's well on its way. Holland now is the first country as well to uh, introduce introducing a pay-as-you-drive scheme by the kilometre. And they've already got the, the pretty well the kind of money you'll pay per kilometre. In the West, the rest of the Western countries will be miles. Uh, and it's to go up uh, up to about 16 cents, I think it is, per kilometre by 2016 or something like that. But it also means mandatory GPS tracking. And so every car is going to be equipped with tracking devices by law so they can watch where you go and what you're doing and how long you take and how many miles you went. Now, all these articles, remember, I put up on my site, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the show after I've perhaps been goes to the lens now since exploring it, um, I've cut me back and cut me back and cut me back. They'd love to just cut me off altogether because I'm not supposed to be speaking about these things to the general public. And there are big forces, I'm sure, and big people have contacted them. You know, the old school boys, ties sort of thing, you know, you phone them up, oh, Freddie, can you just uh, give this person a hassle? He's been a bit of a nuisance. And that's how things really work in the real world. So it'll take me just to put this up tonight, but eventually I'll have all these links up and the show an hour later than usual, or maybe just after an hour, hour and a half, I'd say. Now, you just can't get enough of this stuff. So we're living in the age of the authorized control freak. We're going back to the Middle Ages in a sense. Because we're taught to be poor again. And we're taught our place, our place. That's what they love to say at the top. Mind your place. They're going to teach us all our place. as little people at the bottom. This article is from uh, World News. It's, uh, it's uh, worldnews.com.au. It's from Australia, but it's about New Zealand. It says, pay problem parents not to breed. That's this is the mayor. October the 30th, 2009, an outspoken Kiwi, that's New Zealander politician, has proposed a new solution to the country's child abuse problem. Pay the appalling underclass. The appalling underclass not to breed. That's what the, Michael Laws, who stirred up controversy by calling the late Tongan king a bloated brown slug, <laughs> has again hit the headlines. It says uh, that there is a group within our society who give their children no hope nor opportunity from the moment they're born. I guess that's the majority of the general public worldwide now, since we're all under authority. It says the regional mayor wrote on a New Zealand radio website, where he broadcasts as a talkback DJ, that these parents are known to the authorities, and yet the authorities can only intervene after children have been harmed. He wants to sterilize the whole underclass here. Mr. Laws goes on to write, be far better for this appalling underclass to be offered financial inducements not to have children, given the toxic environment that they would provide for any child in their care. He believes the consequent financial and social savings to our community would be considerable. There are too many people who should not have children, he says. One of you belongs to the Optimum Population Trust as well, the ones that advise Prince Charles. 
Guys like uh, Sir Crispin Tickle was not a very funny guy after all. Mr. Law said in a report in the New Zealand's Dominion Post newspaper yesterday uh, had incorrectly attributed the view to him that all those who got welfare should be sterilized. So he wrote back, he says, the most welfare beneficiaries are good parents. I guess he's got the right to say if they're good or bad. But it was the problem ones who should be offered money not to breed. If we gave them $10,000 to certain people and said we'll voluntarily sterilize you, then all of society would be better off, he told the paper. He said, there'd be less dead children and less social problems. So there you go. These are the people who are coming to the fore now and they're getting the airplay, they're getting... Um, it's, a, it's a psychological uh, technique that's been used as we get bombarded from all types of authority figures with the same kinds of messages to put us in our place, remember. To remind you, you're one of the little people, and if you just keep your head down and go along with the whole agenda, uh, maybe, maybe they won't look your way. Well, that's not going to work because, you see, they're already going to come into your home and assess you regardless of how goody-two-shoes you think you are. That's the reality of the world we're living in. The music's coming in, and when I come back, I'll try and take uh, a couple of phone calls. So back after this break. Good to speak with you again. Yes. Hi, my question is specifically about um, special forces and persons who are or were in special forces. Um, my question is about, you've spoken in the past about how they're tested for entry into it and that the qualifications for that involve certain levels of psychopathy. And... Um, my question is, are the, are the different levels of psychopathy different for different aspects of their job? Like, for example, a Special Forces Ranger who fought against drugs coming into the U.S. during the Cold War, etc., and those who brought them in, or are they the same but compartmentalized? Um, the, the, the ten, yeah, they tend to be really the same but compartmentalized. As you say, okay. in fact, uh, I think the, the, the case you're referring to, the guy who had been in Special Forces ended up working for the Coast Guard to stop drugs coming in. Then he met a friend who'd been in the same uh, outfit as he was that was working for the other side uh, and about CIA-sponsored. And uh, he, he thought it was rather incredulous that, that here they are, both from Special Forces, working still for the U.S. government on the opposite side of the fence, one of them to bring drugs in and one, one to try and keep them out. Um, but it, when they go through for, um, for testing uh, and qualification or qualifying into the Special Forces, they're given psychological examinations, of course, uh, but they also must have a tendency to try, always to try and win, to, to, to reach an objective where most folk would give up, that, that kind of stuff they're looking for um, as well. Uh, and... Um, to be intelligent enough to get them their way out of uh, certain situations. 
but they, they definitely are uh, more bloodthirsty. Um, uh, I don't know if people realize that they're actually taught simply, uh, really taught to kill without thinking. Um, when the first Special Forces was shown in Britain for the first time, I should say, uh, during uh, a siege in London back in the early 80s, um, it was actually the Iranian embassy, in fact, I think it was, uh, the, uh, some of the, 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 the hostage takers got out with the, the hostages and the SDS guys were pulling them back in to kill them because their orders had been to kill them, just kill them. Uh, it didn't matter if they were unarmed or giving up or whatever, uh, you have to kill them. So killing is no problem. And I also got it from an inside source that the, the guy who was shot in London, London at subway um, by the supposed special um, police officer uh, wasn't them at all. It was a, an SAS guy that was sent to, to execute him. Uh, so they, they will do executions uh, on command. They do certainly select them higher uh, from within their own sources for even higher compartmentalized units uh, within their service itself too, for those particular jobs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know that they're vetted at the lower levels to see if they can get into the higher levels, and I can only assume that at those higher levels it gets nastier. Yes, you can tell by I think it was uh, Bo Greitz that had his own Patriot radio station for a few years. The guy who turned in the Patriots after was and blamed them for bringing down the towers because he was a shill. Um, he said himself, he kept talking about the people he had assassinated and he, he thought it was all wonderful and he, he missed those days. And I thought, well, there you go. He's a real psychopath there. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, but it's... Uh, it's quite the world, and these people do exist, and they are recruited, obviously, by those who can use these kind of guys. And unfortunately, um, we've got lots to draw on now from the, the youth culture they've created with video games. They're all desensitized to killing. From Hamish, myself, and to your Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.